Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Thanks for joining us this morning. I am Pastor Lance, and to my right is my lovely wife, co-lead pastor, Pastor Angel. And to her right, uh, according to Pastor Matt, is the uh, fifth or sixth best-looking staff pastor uh, here at Radiant Life Church. And Pastor Matt is much better looking, is the way he said it, last week. So So I just want you to know, this is Anthony Johnson, our campus pastor. Look, there are uh, a lot of things I love about our church. Pastor Matt might not be one of them. Yeah, that's Um, true. True. So here's, here's the problem, okay, is that last Sunday, my wife got induced to give birth to our baby girl, so precious, last Saturday night. So we're about 12 hours into this, and I thought, you know what we should do? Let's get some encouragement. We're going to watch service together on my phone. Lo and behold, Pastor Matt sits up here in my chair <laughs> from my office and slams me. So... All that to say, if you feel like maybe this isn't the most encouraging church, it's probably because you talked to Pastor Matt, and uh, we can do better. We will do better. Yeah. He he didn't get enough tea before the Sunday morning worship service, so that's that's what happened. Good stuff. Well, Pastor Anthony uh, doing a phenomenal job at our uh, campus in East Akron, him and his wife, Katie, and um, yeah, if you want to uh, bless them, because now they have three children, uh, we can get you their address, and uh, you can send diapers, wipes, and, and let you know all of the wonderful things. Man, we're excited to be jumping into week two of a series that we entitle every year, entitled Welcome Home. Uh, we'd like to take three weeks and just break down the mission of Radiant Life Church. Why, why are we here? What, like, when you show up, what does Radiant Life Church do? Why, why do we even exist? And man, last week, Pastor Angel kicked us off and uh, told us that, man, we, we have nine questions. So if, if you're here on Sunday, you're here on Wednesday, we want to be able to answer nine questions when it comes to the mission. And so last week, we, we talked about a real relationship with Jesus. And so three of those questions, every week we have three questions. Three of those questions was, who is Jesus? Man, how do I get to know Jesus? And how does Jesus change my relationship with others. And so those are the three questions that we hit last week. And man, that, again, that started with our mission. Why do we exist? So Radiant Life Church exists so that people will be brought into a real relationship with Jesus to see people experience life change. And once you begin to experience that life change, man, you grow in your faith. And then now because you're growing your faith, you have a desire to serve your community both inside and outside the four walls of the church. So this morning, we're going to unpack the second part of the mission, which is life change. We use this quote from John Maxwell all the time, and it says, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Change is always going to happen, but are we going to grow through that process? And so let's jump into our first question this morning, Pastor Angel. Yeah, it's who are you becoming? Otherwise stated, who are you and who do you want to be? When you think about who you're becoming, it starts with who you are right now and what's the, what's the end game? Where are you trying to get? Who are you trying to be like? Who are you becoming? And within the context of that, can we just, before we start anything, a couple quick tips. Everybody likes quick tips, right? I do. I like a give me that one minute thing that I can take away. And so here it is for me. Surround yourself with people who are doing it better than you. That's Surround good. yourself with people who have experienced it before and Amen. failed there or did well there. 
Get to know their story and the lesson either way. Surround yourself with people who you admire. It doesn't have to be somebody that you want to have a similar job. There is somebody who attends our church faithfully. She was here at the nine. Her name is Andrea. And if you want to get to know somebody who is solid gold in their character, I will connect you with her. She is gentle and kind and compassionate. And I absolutely want to be like her when I grow up one day. That's the sad truth. I'm still a work in progress. I'm getting there. And then lastly, I would say this. You want to figure out who you're becoming and and what is a quick goal to get there? How about we surround ourselves with people who will pray for us more than they agree with us? who will pray with us more than just agree with us. We all know who to go to, who will be sympathetic to us, who will empathize with us, and it will be a great listening ear. And that's okay. But ultimately, when we're considering who we want to become and how we want to let Christ impact and influence our life, then we also need the flip side to that that says, I love you, I empathize with you, I see that, but let's, let's pray together. Let's see what God would say in this situation. So I just encourage you to start there. We know that life change starts with a relationship with Jesus, right? And we see this evidence all throughout Scripture that when people are in the presence of God, that's where he begins to shape their lives. And it's our responsibility not just to improve, but to engage. Our responsibility is engagement with Christ instead of performing for Christ. And so, guys, how have you seen this play out in your relationships? Yeah, I know for me it's that constant reminder that the change that happens in my life is, is led by the Holy Spirit, right? So I can do a lot of things, and I can put forth effort. I don't think the Holy Spirit's opposed to me trying. But I also understand that, like, change is going to happen at his pace and not mine. So there might be things that I go, oh, I should probably work on A, B, and C, but the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, before you get there, let's address this one thing. So often where people, and myself included, get really confused is change, especially in the beginning, and at the beginning of a growth cycle as well, looks a lot more like repentance than it does activity, right? And it's aligning yourself with God's will for your life to say, okay, the vision I have for my life isn't my vision. It's not what I want but it's what you want, so what do I need to do to line up in that and allow you to change me, not just me try to become the best version of myself that I think I should be, but allowing him to do that in me. I think for me, when I think through engagement over improvement, um, it's the everyday small irritations. How many of there are just things that will irritate you every day, like small things? Um, Pastor Anthony just said, Pastor Matt. (laughs) Here we go. Who will speak next week and offend one another? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's the everyday irritation. So when I engage more in, in who Jesus is, when I'm, when I'm engaging in the word, when I'm engaging in worship, uh, when I'm engaging in his presence, those, those things don't bother me as much, right? Those little annoyances, I don't become as irritated because I realize that those aren't, those aren't the majors. Those are the minors. And I don't focus on them because I'm more focused on him than that little petty thing that's happening or my kids who didn't listen, like... Like they, you know, we've been living in our house for six years and the dishwasher hasn't moved. Like it's still where it's supposed to be and where we installed it. So when the dishes- Still connected to water. Still connected to water. And so it's still, you go from the sink to the dishwasher, like somehow that's miraculously gonna change. It's still the same system. And so when I see the dish, I'm like, you just put it there. Okay, not a big deal. Cause it's not a big deal. And so we just have to realize that our engagement does, does lead us to help 
with that improvement. Yeah, and can I say real quick too, the, uh, the little things that annoy us in life, we tend to think those are obstacles to us getting closer to God. The reality is it's often that God is the one that's saying like, hey, this annoyance is actually an opportunity and a blessing in disguise. And so especially when you think about stuff with kids, right? We're in a cycle now where newborn, we got a three-year-old, six-year-old, our house is about to be crazy, right? And, and it'd be easy for me to go, well, here's why I can't grow closer to God in this season, because we've got this schedule and that schedule, and this kid's sick, and now they're all sick, and all these different things. The truth is, like, those are the moments in your life that God wants to speak to you the most, and God doesn't want to speak to you in spite of those annoyances, but he actually wants to speak to you through those. That's good. That's excellent. It's so true. And it starts with that relationship. We cannot experience life change in Christ without having that relationship first with him. And so it's important for us to recognize that it is our responsibility to position ourselves with the Lord and not perform for the Lord. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy in our culture to say, well, I did this right and I'm doing this right and I'm slaying it here and check off the list of all the things that you want to do for Jesus. And he's saying, but I just need you to be with me. That'll come. There will be an overflow that is unrecognizable in your life. But would you just position yourself with me? Would you sit at my feet? Which reminds me of Mary in Scripture, and we see this in Luke chapter 10. And this is what Jesus says to her. And just for a quick backstory, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and she is just worshiping and crying out to him and just experiencing his greatness in front of her. And meanwhile, her sister, Martha, is overdoing all the things. She is cooking, she is cleaning, she is serving everybody, and the people around are judgmental, and they think, hey, you know, this lady needs to get up and do her share around here. I, I wanted to sidebar and get snarky about that and be like, well, I don't know why the woman had to get up and get everybody's food, but that is not what's happening on the stage today. But this was Jesus' response when everybody, <laughs> when everybody in the room was shaming Mary. He says, but one thing is necessary. And let's just pause there for a minute. There's a lot of great things we can do and be with Jesus. But he said, in response to, shouldn't she be doing all of these things for you right now? He said, one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He's saying, she chose to sit with me. She chose to be with me. She is choosing relationship with me, and I will never take that away from her. That's the good portion. That's going to be what changes her life. And it's important for us to recognize that the appearance of our life is worth far less than the content of our life. It's so easy to try and produce what looks great to everybody else. But ultimately, God is wanting us to look at our inside. He's wanting us to see who we are becoming, how we are shaping our lives after him. And so, guys, how has that played out in your life, a time where you had to focus internally instead of externally, and how that played out? Yeah, for me, it was an appearance thing. Um, so when I first got into ministry, I was a youth pastor in the church that I was serving at, um, I was 24 years old, and they're like, hey, listen, so here's the dress code when you come to work every day. And I was like, okay. And now understand, I had been working in a warehouse for seven years. I'm wearing holy jeans, a dirty Carhartt uh, T-shirt, you know, sweatshirt, whatever. And uh, he's like, so you're going to need to be in a shirt and tie uh, every day in the office. And I was like, but I'm a youth pastor. Like, I, I thought I got to wear shorts and a T-shirt. Like, I, so every day, shirt and tie. And uh, there was this moment, he said, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to make sure you always have a sport coat in your office. And I was like, like uh, okay, what, what are we going to do with this said coat? And here was the explanation. Anytime, we, you never know the time, the day, the hour when someone will need us and we have to go to the hospital. He's like, we want to make sure you're always in your suit or your suit coat every time we go to the hospital. 
And I was like, okay, so, so if I go to the hospital in that coat, like, my prayer is going to be more effective. That, is that what you're saying? Is that what you, and, I hope not because I have showed up in the hospital for some of y'all in some warm-up pants. Yeah. So I just want you to know I am trying my best to engage. I showed up in the hospital one time after cutting the grass and uh, I was like, I'm sorry, I smell, and, but I'm here to pray for you. And <laughs> that's all it was. But, but here was the thing. I was like, ah, it's an outward appearance thing. Like well, when you walk in, you may not be a pastor, but you're going to look like a pastor. Right? You're going you're, you're to have the appearance outside and that's what the suit will tell everybody that you're the reverend, that you're the pastor. You're, you're there to pray. So even though it may not be something that on the inside, like you're showing up and maybe you're a little scared, but on the outside, like I fake it till you make it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so here I am with my pleated pants and my, 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 my suit coat and we're ready to go. And I prayed and that was it. I remember I had a professor in college one time that told me, like, as a pastor, you should always have one of, like, the clerical collars with you, just in case you go somewhere and, like, that will give you more, like, whatever, you prestige or whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, I, I Have you I, ever owned one? Because I don't. No. I, my parents bought me shirts and ties when they found out I was going to be a pastor, and I don't think I've ever really worn them except for, like, <laughs> funerals and weddings. So if you ever need some, I got more ties than I know what to do with. They're yeah, I tell everybody, if you see point. me in a suit and tie now, one of two things is happening. Yeah. You're happy to see me because the wedding's going to happen, or you're not happy to see me. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, but so for me, it comes back to, it's not one time, but there's one story that always comes back in my mind when it comes to this thought. How many of you guys remember Ponderosa? You remember the restaurant? How many of you guys liked Ponderosa Pon- back in the day? We called it Ponderosa. Oh, man. So, so here's the know. deal. I will not let you disparage the good name of Ponderosa, Okay. This is a body built by buffets, and I used to love Ponderosa, okay? So Ponderosa, you know, you go in, you'd get the tray, you get your cup, and then after you got your cup, you'd go over and, like, get yourself a drink, because you used to be able to do that. And I remember I got the cup, I went over to the drink machine, and, like, my mom stopped me, and I was like, well, we're not, we're not drinking Coca-Cola anymore, like, what's happening? And she's like, look inside your cup. I looked in my cup, and I, now, mind you, for the cup to get where it was, it had to go from the table to the back room, to some kind of area to wash things, and then put out for you to grab it. Inside of this cup, it was filled with cake, which I thought at the time, bonus, right? <laughs> you, get, you get bonus cake with your Coke, balling, right? Uh, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, you just, you realize like, okay, this isn't the cup for me, right? Because it's pretty disgusting. And I think of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, you know, woe to you Pharisees. You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside, you're filthy. And what Jesus was talking about was this idea that no matter how much you try to dress yourself up, if the, if the inside person of who you are is, is gross and filthy and filled with cake, right? It doesn't matter how much you want to dress up the outside, you're ineffective, Right? And so it's this constant attention to not just how do I appear to everybody else, but who am I really on a soul level, on a deep level, and giving attention to that. That's so good. Because at the end of the day, we always decide how we live. You and I get that choice. We make the decision where we invest our time, how we live our time, who we spend our time with. It's our choice. And I often think because of that, Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? And we see this throughout scripture, and it starts here with blind Bartimaeus, and this is in Mark chapter 10. He's blind, obviously, how he got the name, and he's before Jesus. Some of you thought that was funny. That was his nickname, but he wasn't blind. (laughs) This is blind Bartimaeus. He doesn't hear very well. Bible's pretty clear, right? So here he is. He's before Jesus, and Jesus knows what he needs because, again, 
He's blind. We've made that determination. He has a nickname for it. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? That's how it starts. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus's question allowed Bartimaeus to articulate his faith. It allowed him to say, this is what I believe you can do for me, and this is what I need from you. But here is what's super important that we can easily miss when we read this. He didn't just say, hey, Jesus, some random guy, call you by name. He said, Rabbi, this is what I need from you. He called him by how he knew him. There was relationship there. It was like somebody coming up to me and calling me Angela, and I look at them like, who are you talking to? My name is Angel, right? That's how the intimacy was with Bartimaeus and Jesus. Rabbi, my teacher, my friend, I know what you can do for me. I know who you are. We've spent some time together, and this is what I want from you. His faith was the means, but not the cause. Jesus caused the healing. Jesus caused the miracle, but the means to get there was the faith that Bartimaeus had when he needed to meet with the person that he knew intimately and knew well. Because it is always more than what's happening in our body It is always about the soul that Jesus wants. Yeah, he cares. He wants to give you good gifts. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free, but it's so that your soul could know him, so that your soul could have the peace and the joy that he died for, that he desires to give to each and every one of us. And so it's important that as we seek Jesus, that we know him. That's why we talk about the relationship, not being transactional, but just intimate and relational so that he can do his part. We see Jesus do this again. There's a guy who's invalid for 38 years. 38 years, guys. Some of you in the room haven't even been alive long enough. I'm going to pretend like that's me too. So in John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus responds the same way. He says, do you want to get well? And I think we could look at that and go, well, yeah, of course. But ultimately, Jesus knew. He was looking at more than just the invalid somebody who maybe found his identity in growing up as an invalid his whole life. Jesus knew that he wanted to get to a soul, what's happening inside of you. And I think it's easy for us to go, well, yeah, Jesus can fix it. But there are times when we're like, I, I do want to kind of get better, but I want to hang on to this part of my life. I don't want to have to forgive. I don't want to have to be vulnerable because I feel like I have the right to hang on to that. And I believe Jesus is saying to some of us, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because you're going to have to do some hard looking, some soul searching so that I could have full access to you, so that I could finish my work on you. Not just skim the surface of what you think is going to be easy because there will be an overflow of greatness when you let me do what I have called you to do. Because we want, we've got to want to know and want Jesus more than we know and want this world. The world is easy and it's familiar. What we live through, the struggles that we walk through every day, it's familiar Do we want Jesus more? So I think when we ask ourselves, who are we becoming? An easy tell is, do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? That takes us to our second question as we talk about life change. And the question is this, what am I learning? And I know that sounds not cool whatsoever. 
this is, they're like, this is going to be the most boring part of this sermon. Here's what I'll tell you. This question is really crazy important. Um, I grew up in a church uh, culture that was all about empowering people at a very young age. And there are great aspects to that, very healthy markers to that. Here was the downside. I became a Christian at 18. Uh, I became a pastor right before I turned 21. And so I've spent most of my adult life that I would say I have a relationship with Jesus as a pastor. And the dark side to that is early on, like in my early 20s especially, there's this aspect of like, I was way more concerned with how I was perceived by the people I was quote unquote ministering to than I was by who I was when nobody else was around, right? And, and the pressure that comes with that, not because of anything anybody said to me or anybody did to me, but really just that uh, lack of, you know, whatever you want to call it, that consistency between who I was up front and who I was behind the scenes, that catches up with you, right? And you get stuck in this position where it's easy to start faking it, it's easy to start performing, and it led me to like this conviction over the years that I've heard from many different pastors. You've already heard it here this morning. You'll hear it again. You spend any amount of time in this church. And the conviction is this, that I don't want to perform. I want to be formed. I don't want to perform for anybody. I don't want to perform for myself. I don't want to perform for you. I don't even want to put on a show for God because at the end of the day, he knows my heart. He knows my motives. He knows everything about me. I don't want to perform. I don't want to put on a show, but I do want to be formed. I don't want to grow more in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ every single day. Before that to happen, um, we really have to make sure that we're making time for Jesus in our lives because it doesn't happen by accident, right? There is that partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. So here's my question for you two, is how do you create space for Jesus in the everyday life of stuff? Yeah, for stuff of life, I should say. <laughs> it's okay. We're all doing it. This morning, I got all of my points wrong and misspoke them. So, you know, we're on, we're on a roll today. Killing it. For me, um, while I do have some set time every day where I sit and read my word, what I found that I need more than anything else is to habit stack and fill the mindless time in my day with moments with Jesus. So I've recognized that for me, if my mind is going to wander, if I'm going to replay things that have happened in my day that I really don't need to concern myself with things about, I have learned that I fill those and I habit stack that. So when I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about all of the things, no longer do I let my brain do that. If I'm in the shower, worship music is playing or the Bible app is reading me my devotion because I don't want to sit there and think about things that can get my mind focused on things that aren't healthy for my day. Uh, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm driving in the car, again, typically it's in the mindless things when we're not focused that our brains can trail and get into places that we don't really need them to be. So I've learned beyond just having a set time with Jesus, I habit stack the things that are mindless for me to be intentional to spend time in his presence. Yeah, for me, you know, how do I create that space? Um, this is going to sound crazy. For those of you who know me, you're like, oh, that totally makes sense. For those of you who don't, you're like, oh, that seems, seems a little weird, a little robotic. Yeah, um, very systematic, very well thought out. And so I have to plan my priorities, right? I, I have to say, okay, what's really important? What do I value? And so I have numerous lists that I keep. One of those, one of those lists is a weekly to-do list here at work, right? Another list is via Google Task, which are things that I just have to do at home. Um, and then I have a daily to-do list. So I have three different lists that I'm operating off of every week. Are you judging me right now? Is that what's happening? I don't think I have to. I think a lot of other people might Okay, be, perfect. God knows our personalities and gives us systems accordingly. That's what I love about him. He's so intentional to right. meet us where we are. Do you want to know what we, what, what we had for dinner? Because it was planned out on a schedule, maintained, okay? Don't judge me. But here's the deal. The reason I have to have that is because I'm saying these are my priorities. So I have a daily task list. And on that daily list is prayer, 
worship the word and you're like, shouldn't that just be natural? Shouldn't that be a byproduct of you wanting to get closer to Jesus? And the answer is yes, 100%. It's not that it's not important. It's that it's the most important thing and I wanna constantly keep it in front of me. So it's daily. It's not like, oh, well, I'm gonna forget. No, I wanna make sure that I'm diving in. I wanna make sure that, that it becomes a priority. There are things, like for instance, I'll put on there things like, hey, make sure you text your wife something really nice and sweet. It's not because I'm, I have to remind myself that she's nice and sweet uh, because she always is, but for me, it's the priority. It's the priority of saying, did, you, did I just lie in church? Is that what I did? I was like, I'm so thankful that you love me, but you know that ain't true. <laughs> But it's one of those things where I'm like, no, she's a priority. So this week, I, put it on my, I had it on my task list. Text, text each of the children something kind um, and connect with them. It, I connect with them all the time and I'm constantly, but this was strategic. I just wanted to make sure that I paused long enough in the midst of a crazy busy week that I knew what was most important, which was my children. So it's, for me, it's creating the space is about planning what the priority is. And that's by creating tasks for me. That's right. And I can make fun of you all I want, but on my list every single day on my task list is the same thing. It's hey, spending time in God's word, reading a chapter from this one John Maxwell thing I'm reading every day, making sure like the question every single day is who, who am I pouring into today, right? So trying to keep stuff intentionally in front of you because the reality is I think a lot of us want a relationship with Jesus to feel very organic. The reality, though, is that for anything to feel organic, it has, at first has to be forced, right? You have to force the issue to say, do I need a reminder every day to read my Bible? No, right? But what does it do? It reminds me of what's most important because if I want something to be organic, it's first ha- it first has to be forced because what happens organically in our culture right now is not being formed into the image of God. It's being formed into the image of culture, right? We have to ask ourselves the question every single day, are we being shaped by culture or by Christ? Are we being shaped by culture or by Christ, because the reality, the truth is, I'm going to quit saying the word reality, right? That's when you know I'm tired. I say the same word over and over again. But what happens is we constantly have to be thinking, how are we being shaped? How are we being formed? Because the culture has images for us. The culture has messages for us. The culture has a destination for you in a way that it wants you to live out your life. Rarely is that lined up with how Christ wants you to live your life. Rarely is that going to take you where Jesus actually wants you to be. If I just go with the flow, I'm not going to drift towards Jesus. I'm going to drift more towards myself and more towards the image that culture has for me. So if I'm going to grow in the ways of Christ, grow in the image of Christ, I have to ask the question, what am I learning? Uh, Hosea, speaking on behalf of God in the Old Testament, he says this. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge of knowledge. Now, here's what I'll say is true for us. You might not feel destroyed, but I can tell you a lack of knowledge will make you feel ineffective. A lack of knowledge will definitely breed some insecurity in us. And I'm not saying you have to know everything, right? That's one of the biggest lies you can fall into, especially early on in a relationship with Jesus. You say things like, well, I can't tell people about Jesus because what if they ask this or what if they say that? And I don't know what to say. That's the least of your worries, right? We're not saying make yourself prepared so you can answer every single question. What we are saying is this, is you've got to take ownership of the fact that God has revealed himself through his word. He's given us the gift of other people revealing other aspects of us, of himself to us through books and through podcasts and all these other mediums we can use, right? We have to take ownership of those things. We don't want to be people who are described as having a lack of knowledge, but we want to be intimately in relationship with Jesus. And so I think through like the five love languages, right? What's your main love language? Do you know? 
Physical touch. Physical touch. Acts of service. Acts of service, right? Minus physical touch, my wife's is not, okay? Um, and what I'll tell you is this. We all have a way that we like to be loved, and Jesus lays it out like this. He says, the way that you love the Lord your God is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I think that mind piece for us is so hard, but we need to know that if we're not loving Jesus by learning, we're loving him in a way that's incomplete. We're not actually living out his love language for our life to say, man, he is revealing himself. Now it's my responsibility. I want to get to know him more. If we want to love God well, we need to love him also in the way that we learn. That's so good. So who am I becoming? What am I learning? And then we'll, we'll land this plane on the last question. How am I applying? Right? You're not learning it if you're not living it. Or you're not learning it if you're, if you're not living it. As in, man, what, what did I just gain? What's the wisdom? And now how am I going to apply it to my life? And I can't, if you can't live it out, then I wonder if what we're sharing or what the gospel message is just becomes information. Right, where it's like, oh, this is just information, like a to-do list. Like, oh, that was just information. You didn't actually want me to do it, right? No, we actually wanted you to do it. It's, it's application, so I made the joke about the dishwasher. You're like, yeah, the, dish, the dishes go into the dishwasher. It, I wasn't just asking to give you information like, oh, this is how it's done. No, there, there has to be something of an application that, that goes forth. And so for me, I think, about, I think about the gospel. I think about the stories of Jesus. I think about the life of Jesus. Those weren't just stories of information. You know what that was? That was the sustenance of life for transformation. There's a difference there's a huge difference. I'm just going to give you something to inform you. No, I want to give you the word of God so it can transform you. And so we got to make sure that we're, we're applying it so that way we can live it out. I always challenge everybody with, with two questions. Like, so here's the two questions. You come to church, you listen to a sermon, and you listen to a podcast, uh, you're, you're listening to the Bible app, you're at a midweek, you're, you're in our student ministry. Um, here's the two questions. What did I just hear? And then what am I going to do about it? Right, what did I just hear? So on your way home today, when you're in the car, you're traveling home, like you're going to get some lunch, you can have a conversation and say, hey, what did, what did you hear today? What notes did you take? Then go to the next step. Now, what do we do about it? Right, what do we do about it? Maybe, maybe it's learning. So you're like, man, I wanna, I wanna grow this year. And so I wanna challenge myself. Maybe I'm gonna read a book a month. We can do that, right? If you read a chapter a day, you'll read 24 books a year. Right? It's, it's just that simple, but it sounds crazy, but, but it's because you went, man, I want, I want to grow. The, ch- the question was, what am I learning? And now I got to figure out, what am I going to do with it? Because it's not just information. Here's what I love, is that the application of the word will create an action from the heart. Right? When we apply the word, it, cre- it moves us, it compels us to go into action. So my question for you two this morning is, man, give me a time that you felt led to do something because of something you learned from the scripture. For me, that one's easy. I would say forgiveness because my natural instinct, probably like most everybody in this room, is you did me dirty, so we're done. Like that's the walls are up. You don't have access to hurt me again. I'm, I'm good. I'll move on without you. Um, but when I look at scripture and I see who Jesus is and the more I spend time with him, I'm reminded that in order for me to receive his forgiveness, I must be willing to forgive the people around me and to remember to see them like he sees them and see myself the way he sees me. You messed up. You failed, but I love you. And the same grace that I need, be willing to give that to other people. 
Uh, for me, I remember uh, the conversation I had with a guy freshman year of college. He pulled me off to the side, and he just said, hey, I feel like God wants you to hear that bad company corrupts good character. Uh, and I was a new enough Christian that I had no clue who was actually telling me like a Bible verse, right? That's in 1 Corinthians. Um, but he just, he, what he saw in me as like a newer kind of guy who was becoming a friend was some of the people I was hanging out with, man, they were just taking me off to a way I, I really didn't want to go and didn't need to go. And I've used that now my entire adult life to kind of filter through friendships, filter through the people I'm relating to, filtering through like even back in the day who I would date, right? So like I, I was hard and fast. Like I didn't mind going on a first date, but if I didn't see something there the first date, we weren't going out again. Sometimes that was by my choice. Many times it was by other people's choice. But, <clears throat> but I had to think through things like, hey, if God's plan for my life, if he said, hey, I'm calling you to be a pastor, then I, I couldn't just date any girl, right? Like I couldn't just be with anybody because what we always see is not just friendships, but relationships with marriage. Like the person, the people you're closest to, whether it's a friend or a spouse, they become the lid in your life, right? And so God's word is going to say, be really careful who you let in on that level that's going to influence you. And so that's been a thing for me since I was 18, all the way through now to 37, man, just filtering relationships through. Are they bringing me closer to Jesus? Not as if I'm using them for that, but what's the byproduct for this relationship? Am I getting closer to Jesus or further from him based on my time with these people? Yeah, think about today. Uh, so if you're not aware, we're in the middle. We just finished up today is day seven of 21 days of prayer and fasting as we kicked off the new year. And man, we, if you want to be involved in that, there's still time. It's not like, oh, I didn't start, um, but you can finish. All right, you can finish with us. And so... Uh, Part of that was reading a devotion. And so for us, we got texted this morning. If you haven't read it, I'll give it a little bit away about what it was about. But for me, like, man, how do I hear something in the word and then you got to apply it. So it was along the line of forgiveness. So the devotion this morning was about praying for your enemies. And I'm like, praying for your enemies? Like praying like they get hurt? Like praying they get boils? Like what do you want me to pray about? Uh, but no, it's praying blessing upon them. And that was tough. Like, man, like you said, like, oh, these people hurt me. Why am I going to pray blessing upon them? But that's something that in God's word, it's, it's again, it's not a suggestion, right. right? It's not like, oh, this would be great. No, this is what I'm asking you to do. So I'm expecting you to do what my word tells you to do. And so that's, applying God's word tells me that it's time to get in the game. Applying God's word is like, hey, this is what I've said. Now I need you to, to, to be obedient and walk in this because I want to see heaven crowded. And so I want to take as many people with me. And so we just need to go out and do it. I think of uh, in the book of James chapter one, verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. All right. Otherwise you are only fooling yourself. Right? Like, oh yeah, that's really good. It doesn't really apply to me. No, it all applies to all of us. And so we need to make sure we're not just being hearers, but we're do being doers of the word. Philippians chapter four, verse nine, it says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Right there, we go back to what am I learning? Keep putting into practice what? All you learned. So that means we had to be, we had to be at some point, we had to be students, right? So what have I learned? And so now it goes on. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Don't you hear that? Like everything you heard me say, not only did I say it, but I modeled it, right? Because not only did I learn it, I applied it to my own life. And so I could say it and you saw me do it. And so now you have an example to follow. I think about all throughout scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. So Old Testament before Jesus and the New Testament, the life of Jesus and after Jesus. There's so many great stories, right? And these aren't like made up stories. These, these are things biblically that took place what would happen if in some of those stories or even all the stories, 
everybody said no. Right, think about this. So in the Old Testament, you have Abraham, and, and, and God's like, hey, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to use you, and you're going to be a great nation. What if Abraham would have been like, nah, brah, not today. I don't want to go. I'm not interested. Pick somebody else. I think through Gideon. So Gideon was, God's like, hey, I'm going to use you, and, the, and you're going to defeat the armies. And Gideon's like, okay, I got a lot of men. I got 30,000. Here we go. And, and God's like, no, 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 no. We're going to shrink that list down. What if Gideon would have been like, hey, I need more men. This isn't going to be enough, so this is a bad idea. Just imagine for a moment the disciples. So Peter is a fisherman. Peter one day is out fishing, and Jesus is like, Peter, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What if Peter's first initial response would have been like, Jesus, before I say yes, is there a sign-on bonus? <laughs> like, like, what does this entail? Is, tell me the pay. Like, is this a 40-hour-a-week job? Is this 20? Is this part-time? Is this full-time? Like, when do benefits kick in? And if he was like, no, this isn't for me, Jesus, so I'm not going to follow you. What if Jesus himself, what if in the Garden of Gethsemane, so this is Jesus, he's praying before he gives his life. What if Jesus' response in that garden was, nevertheless, my will be done? I mean, he's God in the flesh. He could have made that statement. But in in any of those situations, they didn't say no. Because if we want to have a life-changing, a life-giving encounter and an experience, a journey of faith with Jesus, then we have to be willing to walk in obedience to his word. And I love that all of them said yes. I, I love when you look at Abraham. He said yes, and God made him into a nation, a great nation, powerful. He said, look it up the stars. Look at all of them. That, listen, those are your descendants. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Gideon steps out in faith and he defeats the army with just a few men. The disciples, they left their careers, many of their families, and yet God used them, chose them, selected them, handpicked them, and they changed the world that was known at that time. And Jesus, he was obedient, even to death on a cross. He said yes, and I'm so grateful he said yes. And so as we close today, man, I just want to, I want to have some considerations, right? Some thoughts, some questions, man, how do we apply, right, something to our life? How can we do that? That's right. So first thing we have to do is consider what to do and really ask ourselves the question, what does God require of me? Because the truth is we never outgrow obedience. We're all, there's always a step of obedience for us to take. So what do we do? And so then we got to ask ourselves, consider where to go. Right? What are my goals? What are the ambitions? What am, I, what am I striving for? So we have to consider where to go when applying. That's right. And then you also have to consider what do you see? We want to pray every single day for discernment, right? Because discernment allows me to see things from God's perspective and not just mine, not just what's easy and available, but really see with God's eyes. And lastly, consider who you are. Following Christ is more than just about what is right and what's wrong. I would encourage each of you here today, start by just doing the things you want to be known for. You want to be kind, do kind gestures. You want to be in his word more and, and get to know Jesus, then spend some time with him. Make that a priority in your life. You want to be a good wife, watch how other people do it well and don't be jealous that they might have a healthier marriage, but go what they're doing, I want to see and I want to learn from. And thank God for those people in your life. People in this world are waiting for us to become who Christ has made for us to be. God is wanting to do a work in your life so that the people in your life will see the fruit of it and believe that he is God. 
And that might seem like a lot of pressure, but let me assure you, them seeing the way you fail and get back up is equally as important as them seeing you get it right and slay the day. It is not about being perfect. It is about sitting at Jesus's feet and knowing where to go back to when we get it wrong and knowing who to give glory to when we get it right. But if we're gonna have life change, it is going to start in his presence. It's going to start by a relationship with Jesus. If we're going to experience life change, it's gonna look like us surrendering before him and letting him be God in our lives in every area. Because every person who is drawing breath, who walked into this building today, could look a little bit more like Jesus. And that's not shaming. That's because we are all a work in progress. Praise God for that. And so we're gonna take these next few moments and we're gonna worship and we're gonna pray. And I encourage you, surrender those things to the Lord. You know where those areas of struggle are, give them to Jesus. Lay them at his feet. If you need prayer today, we are gonna have our board members and their spouses come forward at the beginning of the song. Come forward, ask somebody to lay hands on you and to pray with you and agree with you. Maybe they might need to be the accountability person in your life who is trusted and respected. But more than anything, if we don't get anything else from today, let's spend some time in his presence. Let's worship at his feet because that is where life is found.